Hello and welcome to our continuing 2017 educational webinar series. I am Dr. Jill Brooks, Senior Director of Education for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, a hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. Throughout this month of May, we will focus on OSHA topics. We are so pleased to have Kelly Ogle back again today presenting on hazard communication training. Kelly Ogle is the OSHA and HIPAA Director for Doctors Management, a medical and healthcare consulting firm helping physicians nationwide in all specialties with healthcare, dental, and medical practice management services since 1956. Kelly provides OSHA and HIPAA training and consulting to help medical and dental practices maintain compliance within their facilities. She conveys the importance of a safe environment for employees while reducing the risk of penalties for the practice. In addition to delivering training, Kelly performs mock OSHA and HIPAA audits to help clients take corrective action to help reduce the risk of penalties before they happen. She also contributes to the OSHA bulletin and the OSHA and HIPAA compliance manuals produced by doctors management. Kelly engages her audience with enthusiasm as she conveys the importance of employee safety and patient privacy, as well as the details of protecting the practices from risks and penalties that result from OSHA and HIPAA violations. Kelly is a breath of fresh air to all who have the pleasure of working with her. Clients also appreciate that she has hands-on experience as a registered dental hygienist. In addition to holding a Bachelor of Science degree in dental hygiene from East Tennessee State University and a Master's degree in Industrial Organizational Psychology from Walden University, Kelly has successfully completed the General Industry for OSHA course is a certified healthcare OSHA professional through the American Academy of Provider Offices and Laboratories and is a certified medical practice manager through DM University. She currently is attending Walden University to obtain her doctorate in healthcare administration. A copy of her slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the control uh, panel question box during the presentation. We will address these question, questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM CU certificate will be emailed to you from PACOM following the broadcast. There is no need to request it. This usually occurs within approximately two days. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. Check their website for details. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, good afternoon. Um, of course, we're sitting in on hazardous communication training, and she did a wonderful introduction for me. So we'll go ahead and get started on what we're going to go over today. Our agenda is um, we will go over the standard and the compliance dates that need to be met, the program elements, also chemical labeling, the pictograms, some chemical exemptions, the safety data sheets, your training that needs to be done, and your hazard controls. So with hazardous communications, they revised the standard in 2012. And they created um, not a new standard, but um, when revising this, they did a lot of updates to what they wanted to go to was um, what's called the Global Harmonization System. So if you ever see anything that says GHS or GHS labels, um, GHS sheets, uh, anything that could be kind of, um, I guess, interchangeable with HACOM or MSDS, um, but the GHS stands for the Global Harmonization System, and they wanted to make sure that every SDS looked the same, every label was similar, um, so that nobody was using something different. So when any time that we referred to any of our labels or SDSs or anything, that we knew what to look for and where to look for it. So it wasn't confusing when we went to it and needed the information and couldn't find it. So um, the changes that they put in place was the hazard classification. So they put a specific criteria on classifications, the health and physical hazards um, with the mixtures of the chemicals. Also, the labels on what you needed to do uh, for the labels for us and also for the manufacturers and importers um, and what they needed to include on those labels and then the safety data sheets. 
So we have now what is called a safety data sheet and not a material safety data sheet. It has 16 sections. It's actually always had 16 sections. It's that they weren't forced to put something in all 16 sections, and now they are. So if you see the SDS sheets now, you will see that they have exactly 16 sections. And then the information and training, employers are required to train the workers, was supposed to be the first date, December 1st of 2013, on the new label requirements and the safety data sheet so everybody would be familiar with it. And then, of course, there's some other dates to follow that sh should have been met, too. And we'll go over those. So the compliance dates were December 1st, 2013, and that's where you had to have your employers um, train the employees on the pictograms and the SDSs, on the new forms of everything and why they were doing it. Um, exactly, if, if this hasn't been done, especially going over your new program or um, installing your new HASCOM stuff, if you have not done that, you, need, you must do it immediately. And December 1st of 2015 was a, a date for the actual manufacturers and importers to make sure that they're labeling, they got their SDSs done, and so they got all that out, especially right at the last minute, um, because if you couldn't find an SDS sheet that you needed, that was probably the reason why they were taking their time getting that out. Um, and June 1st, 2016 was of course, last year it's been passed, but we needed to have our workplace labels as compliant, and then also the employers had to have that written HASCOM plan in place, and training for all the workers should have been done by now. So um, still into part of the standard, what they talk about is the manufacturer's responsibilities. Having them classify the chemicals. Uh, also having them comply with the labeling requirements, and then providing the SDSs with initial shipments or when you ask for them. So they really should be provided when you get them in the shipment. Sometimes they're not. If they're not, you can actually ask the distributor for them. Distributors should have those for you. Uh, if not, it's very easy to look those up online. And then also the employer responsibilities listing the chemicals, having those updated annually, that's part of your SDSs. Also making sure that those SDSs are up to date and those are made available to everyone. You need to have a written control plan on how you're going to train, how you're going to handle any kind of emergencies with a chemical, uh, spill problems, anything like that. And then making sure that your labeling is complete on secondary containers. Training the employees, uh, you're supposed to train the employees prior to hazardous chemicals being used. Um, so generally, you would do that when they first come on. So as you hire them, you need to go through the training with them, and part of that has to do with the hazardous chemicals that they're going to come in contact with. So they need to be also familiar with the pictograms and the signal words. So the written program elements, these are the things that you need to keep within your program. The labeling, the employee training and information, the chemical list, the SDSs, methods for informing employees on how to handle non-routine tasks, and methods for informing employees of other employers on the written program. So the labeling, employee training and information, um, that's all going to be, uh, you know, written by you, given by you, unless you have somebody come in and do that. And then, of course, your chemical list and SDSs. Uh, sometimes they have those online that you can get a service, an SDS service. The methods for informing employees on hand, how to handle non-routine tasks. So there's going to be times that you're going to have employees that don't do certain tasks that may come back to the back and maybe clean something and they're handling a chemical they're not used to handling because they're usually up front. Or 
employees of other employers. So sometimes you may have a temp worker come in or you may have a, a cleaning person come in that's not normally an employee of yours and so if they are around any of your chemicals you have to uh, you have to let them know what the hazards are within your office. Just like for anything for OSHA period is anybody that's going to be in your office you really need to make sure that they are protected and know the hazards that are within your office and what they may come in contact with. So with chemical labeling, if you have a manufacturer's label um, that comes on your chemical, um, for example, if you had a cavicide gallon uh, or a gallon of cavicide, uh, then if you needed to move it to another container, that would be what was called a secondary container. If you leave it in the container that it comes in, as far as what the manufacturer shipped you, it should already have all the required information and label on it. So there's no labeling of that. Um, the in-house labels, even alcohol needs to be labeled. Anything that you transfer from its original container into another container needs to be labeled if you're going to use it over a period of time. Um, if it's something that you're going to maybe pour in a container, use it for one use, pour it out, or you're going to pour, you know, you're making it, you use it for one patient and you and you throw it out, that is what is called a temporary container and you do not have to label it, but you do have to label the secondary containers. Um, now you can use a new label format with the pictograms or if you're doing something with the old labels that had the color squares and everything, you can keep doing that. It's fine. All labels must be legible in English and always prominently displayed so that everybody knows what the chemical is or can see that. If, um, when it talks about legible, what usually happens is I'll walk into an office and when I'm doing an audit, one of the biggest things that I find is that they'll have chemicals that they've poured into a container, they've labeled the container, and they've worked with the container so long that the label has wore off and they they didn't notice it. They noticed it still had some sort of label on it, but they didn't notice that there was no words on it. So you have to relabel that. It has to be seen. It has to be legible. So if you cannot tell what kind of chemical is in that jar because the the sticker has worn off, then you need to do something about it and relabel it. So the frequent deficiencies that we do find that are not labeled at all, alcohol, cold sterilants, disinfectants. Um, I really see a lot of instrument soaks, enzymatic, ultrasonic lubricants, and these happen to be in those um, those stainless steel or um, metal boxes a lot of times. And then, of course, the ultrasonic is usually in the machine. But you have to have those labeled as a chemical and also a biohazard sticker because um, it's very important that you have a biohazard sticker on those because once you put those instruments in there, that liquid, whatever's in there, it's a chemical, water, whatever, is now contaminated. So now you do have to have a biohazard sticker on it. Uh, TCA, benzoin, x-ray fixer, and developer, and KOH. So here's a sample label. Um, this kind of gives you an idea of what all they put on a label, what information, the pictograms, the signal word, the hazard statement, the precautionary statement, um, the product identifier is the actual product name, and it'll have a code, the supplier information. So it's going to be a pretty large label, and sometimes they fit that on very small, small containers, and you can't really read them. That's what's good about having an SDS sheet. So it's very important that you have the SDS sheet. So if you're going to label your chemical from looking at having this label or your you've poured that chemical into another container and you want to label it, then the, going to the SDS sheet is going to be your biggest best bet going to that instead of trying to read the label sometimes. So the pictograms are, of course, those pictures that they have 
recently put in place to put on our SDSs. Also, you're going to see them on the chemical itself. And if you want to put it on your, um, on your label, you can do that also. Um, now, it's not required, um, but they do say it is a good idea to have those on there. And that website at the bottom actually gives you a really good sheet um, that has all the pictograms on it. So if you want that, um, you can go to OSHA.gov and actually I think you could just put pictograms in the search bar and it'll bring this up. So it's a really good page that you can print off and even give to new employees. Um, that's a really good thing to do. Also, I would suggest giving them um, a picture of the pictogram, so a page of that, uh, a sample label like you just saw on the other screen, and then also giving them a copy or a short version of an SDS sheet, or you could give them an SDS sheet of a chemical that you use in the office. And that's going to help to train them and look at that so they can remember what that stuff looks like, just in case you would have an OSHA inspection and may get asked that. Um, so it's a red diamond outlining symbol, and then inside the red diamond you've got the symbol, and then that symbol is what is representing the hazard uh, of what they're talking about. And so you'll see those in just a minute. So with health hazard, um, the best way I can explain this to help you remember this is that the health hazard, there's two of them that are dis distinct and they actually affect the body more. So if you're, if you're reading about it at the bottom, you see that it causes cancer, mutations, reproductive toxicity, respiratory. So there's something going on with our bodies in those. It's health hazard and then you'll see another one in a minute. But health hazard tends to be a more dangerous one. Um, so if you see something that's more detrimental to the body, then you're probably going to think, okay, it's a health hazard. And so you're going to remember this symbol with the person on, person on there with the star on their chest. Um, so then you've got a flame, which is pretty self-explanatory. You see the flame, you know it's flammable, could cause um, a fire, uh, self-heating, pyrophoric, emits flammable gas. So any of those and all those relate to it being flammable, okay? Uh, so that one, if, if you were to see it, you know that it's flammable. Now here's the second health one that I was talking about, it's exclamation mark. So you've got the exclamation mark, and if you look at that exclamation mark and you were to turn it on its top, um, it would be an, an eye. So that helps you remember that it's an irritation or an irritant. Okay, so the exclamation mark means irritation, skin sensitizer, acute toxicity, narcotic effects. So looking at that, knowing that that could be an upside down eye, um, that it stands for irritant. So that's going to help you remember that. And then also this one, except for the acute toxicity, um, this one has body damage, but is much lighter body damage than the other one. So it's got irritation, it's got a sensitizer, it's got narcotic effects, respiratory tract irritant. So this, this seems to be a lot less serious than the health hazard. Then you've got the exploding bomb, and we've got explosives, self-reactive, organic peroxides. So if you see that bomb, it kind of looks like a firecracker uh, or something exploding. And that's what they want you to know is that that could be whatever that chemical is could be explosive. Um, so very, very self-reactive, very reactive to other things. Then you've got corrosion. So you've got skin corrosion, burns, eye damage, and corrosive to metals. And you can kind of see that on the picture that you have a metal surface and then also a hand. And then the test tubes are pouring a chemical out. And those little squiggly lines mean that there's some kind of reaction going on. So the reaction would be that it causes burns eye damage, skin corrosion, corrosion to metals. Uh, also with the gas cylinder, you've got the uh, gas cylinder sitting there. Kind of looks like a wine bottle. Um, some people like to think that it's a wine bottle. Um, it could be gases under pressure, okay? And so that 
um, seeing that, that's kind of self-explanatory too, once you know what the actual picture is and what it relates to, that you know it's gases under pressure. Flame over a circle, very similar to the flame, which it will be flammable, however, it is called an oxidizer with the O in the middle of it. So it means it has to be reactive to something else. It's going to react off of something else. That's why it's an oxidizer. And then you've got environment or non-mandatory, which is aquatic toxicity or toxic for the environment, environment, you know, bad for the environment. So you have black water, a black tree, and a dead fish, okay? So I recommend that you do not eat the fish or swim in that lake. That's just my tip for today. All right, for skull and crossbones, you have um, acute toxicity, fatal or toxic. And usually you'll see this on a lot of things um, as a warning uh, for a chemical. And you'll see that on different chemicals that maybe we buy over the counter or um, go to treat things with, like Drano and things will have that on there. Signal words, danger is for more severe and warning is for less severe. So each of these, including a precautionary statement, the pictogram, the signal word, the hazard statement, the name of the chemical, that's all going to be on your label. It's also going to be all on your SDS sheet. So here's that page that I was talking about earlier that you could go to OSHA.gov and find. It's really good to print out and use at your um, facility, wherever, and have that available to your employees to look at so they can be familiar with what the pictograms look like. And this is an actual excerpt of the standard for uh, HiveCom. The product identifier, um, this is the part I want you to look at is the pro um, at the bottom. It says product identifier, words, pictures, symbols, combination thereof, which provide at least general information regarding the hazards of the chemicals and which in conjunction with the other information immediately available to employees under the hazardous communication program will provide employees with the specific information regarding the physical and health hazards of the hazardous chemical. So it really, any time that there's a standard out there, it is, it is written very um, foggy. Uh, because it wants to cover a, a large area of things. Um, and so they, they kind of want you to interpret what the standard means. And that's for any of those standards, whether it's HASCOM or bloodborne pathogen or one of the others, is that they kind of want you to interpret that and kind of take it to your meaning. Um, so what they're saying here is you can put any of those things. If it's a product identifier, a picture, a symbol, but they want a couple of things on there, so you decide what you want to do and put on there, but it has to be focused toward what you would have a hazard for in your office. So, for example, if, um, if there's a Bunsen burner that, I know a lot of dental offices have Bunsen burners in their office, and they'll use them for different things, and so that is a, is a flame over there. And so if you had something sitting next to it or that you needed close by, um, and that Bunsen burner was there, you're probably going to want to put a hazard chemical on there that says, or a label on there that says flammable, extremely flammable, so that they don't come across the two of those together. So they want to keep those separate. So that identifies to their office. It may be different in one of your offices. For the alcohol SDSs, we have the GHS um, elements, um, which I just put in a couple, I just kind of drew out from an SDS some information so that you could have it um, and see where I kind of, my thought process was. So I went and picked out a couple of the hazard pictograms, then I picked out a signal word, I picked out some hazard statements, and I thought, okay, what am I going to put on my label uh, if I'm going to create my own label? So this is what I did. So I decided to put alcohol on there that it causes an eye irritation, and that it could be flammable. And so that kind of covers two things. So I could have put, instead of over there on that where the flame is, I could have put the upside down eye or the exclamation mark um, because that could be the eye irritation. And then under alcohol, I could have put flammable. 
and just switch those. So either way you want to do it, there's no incorrect way, just making sure that you have enough on there to tell about the hazards of the chemical and what the chemical is so that you and the employees stay safe. So um, the chemical list exemptions. Now, if I'm going into an office to do an audit for my clients, a lot of times I help them with their chemical list or um, they'll, they'll have me do the chemical list for them. And within this chemical list, I, I go overboard. I want to make sure that there's nothing in your office that could cause harm to, your, to the employees. Um, if there is anything in the office that can cause harm to employees, then I put it down here, okay? So um, where it says solid items, if you let them, if you bring in, uh, anybody brings in, but if the employer buys some tablets or capsules and uh, they put it on the shelf for everybody to use, well, one person has an allergic reaction to it. Then you'd like to have the SDS sheet and have that chemical list available to you that would have that information with it. You wouldn't want to go trying to find out what that person could have been allergic to. Um, so uh, pledge, you know, somebody could accidentally spray it in their eye. Um, they push the they push the button wrong or the can is defective and it gets on them and they are having a reaction. So you want to know or have available those SDSs. So now we'll tell you, the non-hazardous chemicals, you, you don't have to put them on the chemical list. I do some of those. Food and beverages, I do not put those on there. Personal use items, I do not. If you brought it in yourself and you're an employee and you're using it, then, then it's not for the employees and it wasn't bought by the uh, employer. And then you've got uh, your solid tablets, uh, capsules, and then your sealed items. And we're talking about your sealed items. You've got samples, the retail products also. But those, um, because you're not ever coming in contact with those, I don't put those on the chemical list because you're not touching those personally. You are selling them and you're selling them in the package that they came in. Then you've got biological items, allergy serums, vaccines, globulins, and yes, I do include those. And then you've got consumer products and that they are used uh, like you would in a regular residential setting. So if you are using those things, and this was talking about pledge and cleaning products and um, different stuff too, is that if you don't have enough in there to cause a problem, like if you had one bottle of Pledge or one small thing of lotion, I mean not lotion, but um, soap or sanitizer, um, no, you wouldn't have to necessarily put it on the chemical list. But I am a what-if person and I like to make sure that all my bases are covered. All right, with safety data sheets, um, these are provided by the manufacturer or distributor, and most of them can be found over the internet, and it's much easier if you go that route, because a lot of times you get in contact with the manufacturer or distributor and they don't get right back to you, so then you're left with not finding an, an SDS right away. So it's better if you just do it on your own, and you can find most of them on the internet. I will tell you, go to the manufacturer's website to find those, though. Uh, don't just search the internet for whatever. Uh, the manufacturer is going to have the exact product that you want, um, and if you can't find it there, then find someone else's product that's similar, and you can get that SDS sheet. It does not have to be the exact SDS sheet. Um, also, must be available before hazardous chemicals are used, so you have paper copies, or you can use computer access, either one. Um, Again, I'm a what-if person, so if something was to happen and you were not able to access those because we all have trouble with computers at some time or another, and so if we can't get to the computer or into the system to get those SDSs and we may need them, a paper copy is always good. You know, even if you just keep it on backup or you keep it on a USB, something that you would have that you could plug in somewhere else and make a copy. So these are the sections of the hazard communication data, safety data sheets. So you have different sections. Now, 
all of them up to about section number 12, let's see, 12, 13, 14, 15, uh, yeah, uh, up to number 12, um, 12, 13, 14, 15, those happen to be once, once the chemical leaves our facility or once it is disposed of, it talks about what it does to the environment and things. We're not having to worry about that. What we're going to have to worry about is what the product name is, what it's identified by, what kind of hazards are related to it, um, the different chemical ingredients, also the first aid measures if you were to spill it on you, how to put out a fire if it started a fire, uh, if you spilled it, how to clean it up, so the protective equipment you would use, uh, the emergency procedures you would go through, also handling and any incompatibilities because what can happen is you can sit two chemicals in there and they can react off each other. So we want to make sure that they're compatible with sitting close to each other or even mixing them. So if you sprayed something on there and you didn't know that somebody else had sprayed something just before that and you mix those and it causes a problem. Then you've got exposure control, how much you can be exposed to it before having a reaction, and then also personal protective equipment in that. Your physical and chemical properties, the actual chemical properties of the chemical. Stability and reactivity is number 10. Um, this is the reactions that they may have, so you have to worry about the stability of the actual chemical. So not, not necessarily the compatibility, but the actual chemical stability and how it can be stable in one area, maybe not stable in another. And then this includes um, toxicological information, includes the routes of exposure, the acute and chronic effects. So this is very important, too, if you're having some sort of symptoms or something going on that you know that you're maybe being exposed to something or you're allergic to something, and you go back and you say, hey, I bet it's this chemical because this and this and this is in this chemical, and I'm allergic to that, okay? Um, and then number 16 is very important also because it has the date of the preparation and the last revision. And so this is where you're going to find when you need to update it. Okay. Luckily, a lot of the SDSs will have a date in the upper right-hand corner of the very first page. And it will say last revision date or date of preparation. And so it will already give you that up in the right-hand corner, which is very helpful when you're trying to flip through all those SDSs. So we'll give you a helpful tip on your SDSs. Um, if you have not done it and you haven't updated your book in a while because it's supposed to be updated yearly and you feel like it's just a daunting task, start another one. Keep that book over to the side, but start a new book with all your chemicals. So walk around the office, get the names of the chemicals, write them down, find the SDS sheets, and make another book. Then you can start new. You can keep the other one because some of the uh, – chemicals in there may be discontinued and you still need to keep some of those SDSs sheets um, for 30 years after you quit using them. Um, so if you have a hazardous chemical, it has to be hazardous, and say for some reason you quit using formalin, you had formalin in your office, and you said, hey, we're going to quit using that, so you quit using it. So from today, when you quit using it, you need to keep the sheet on the formalin in with your, with your chemical stuff for 30 years from the date that you quit using it. So it's very important that you hold on to those. With employee training, you have to include what is actually in the standard. And like when I was talking about, you know, there's labeling and different stuff that it talks about that you need to do. So most of the stuff that I went over, you need to include. Then there's the hazardous chemicals where they're located. Uh, also, where the written program is kept. This is essentially in your OSHA program book or your OSHA manual. It will have your hazardous communications information in it. And then how to access the chemical list and SDSs, methods to observe or detect chemicals, hazards of these chemicals in the workplace. So you have to prepare the person from being able to use the chemical or the reactions they may come across if they are to use it. Um, those personal protective measures, uh, work practices, emergency procedures, personal protective equipment, and then explanation of labels and SDSs. That's why on the explanation of the labels and the SDSs, I do recommend that you give them a sample label and you give them an SDS, let them look over it, 
Um, each employee looks over it and they go through and they understand what they look like. They can recognize it if they have to go get one uh, and so on and so forth. So it's really good that you have this information available to them. Now it's always good if you do training uh, in person. Uh, the HASCOM training, uh, I know in Tennessee, and that's where I'm located, we do have to have um, not necessarily a separate HASCOM training, but we do have to have HASCOM training, and it does have to be documented. And so having someone come in person is always better um, because you get the chance to ask questions or other people, you may hear their questions, and so you can ask them. Also, pictogram flashcards or a poster can work, and that's why I said you may want to like uh, print off that one with the pictograms on it, hang it somewhere so people can understand what the pictograms look like. Um, you could have a quiz, have different things on it, like matching, uh, also short answer or um, uh, multiple choice, and then you have the hazardous chemicals that the employees use. You've got to give them the hazards, what can happen if overexposure, and uh, also protective measures that are available to them so they know what they need to do. So for example, if you had a uh, spill kit, um, you need to have spill kits, by the way, but if you have a spill kit, you need to make sure that everybody knows where that spill kit's located because they can have a chemical spill and they'll need to know where to clean it up. Um, also keep documentation of your training at least three years. Your state, if you have a state program, may tell you to keep keep those longer, we have to keep ours for at least five years um, in Tennessee. Name, job title, date, trainer, topics covered, and quiz, attendance, sheet, or handouts. You can have any of these, um, any of these, but you don't have to have all of them as far as the quiz, attendance, sheet, or handouts. Now, you do have to have the name, job title, date, trainer, topics covered, um, and make sure that uh, you can have somebody trained in the office that is not real knowledgeable about OSHA, but it's usually going to be the most knowledgeable about OSHA that does the training. Um, so going through, uh, you know, a seminar or a course about OSHA would prepare you enough to let them go on. Or if you just read the OSHA manual, if you had an OSHA manual and you read through it, and understood what OSHA was wanting you to do, then you could be the one to do the training in the office. Chemical hazard controls, engineering controls, good ventilation, properly functioning hoods, also personal protective equipment like gloves, gown, face protection, uh, substitutions. If you can make a substitution and you have a hazardous chemical, um, it is a good idea that you try to substitute it, especially if someone's having a reaction on it. Uh, then there's good work practices, no eating, drinking, applying contacts or cosmetics. When there are chemicals around that area, uh, I always tell my uh, employees that I see with my clients to not put their uh, purses or wallets or anything else underneath the counter where you're going to keep any kind of chemicals because you don't know if those chemicals are leaking. You don't know if, um, you know, just sitting next to it, maybe your leather purse could absorb the chemicals that have come out of the can uh, or bottle, whatever. Um, so, and then you're taking that home and you're breathing that, handling that, and so it could be a problem. So just keep those things away from it. Um, clean work surfaces, and then also make sure that you hand wash. So I'm just going to give you a couple of samples here. Um, if you were to see Betadine uh, and the label on it, it may have, with thyroid and renal disturbances, it's probably going to have the healthcare or the health one with the star on the chest. Uh, that's going to be the pictogram, so a health hazard. Um, if you see one like glutaraldehyde down toward the bottom and it says skin irritant, that's probably going to be the upside down eye or the exclamation mark. Um, if you see phenol, which causes burns, also trichloracetic uh, acid, trichloracetic acid, um, it has burns also, and either one of those could be the corrosive, um, because what you're going to see is you're going to see those two test tubes, and they're pouring on something, and it causes burns, okay? Um, another one could be mercury, because it says it's poisonous. That's going to be a skull and crossbones. Uh, so you can go back to this and kind of test yourself 
or you can test your employees and say, okay, the one at the top, um, alcohol says poisonous. You know, okay, that's a skull and crossbones. All right, so that's a good test for your employees. Now, your side effects to chemical exposure, if you notice all the ones on the left, except for death, of course, um, are kind of reversed, can be reversed. Once you take the effect of that chemical that you're coming around all the time, maybe you take that chemical away from the situation, then you're going to quit sneezing, you're going to quit coughing, because this is something that you're allergic to or having an allergic reaction to. Um, now, with chronic, it's over a long period of time. So it's not only going to be um, sneezing, coughing, runny eyes. You may have been do doing that at the beginning, but now you've been long-term exposed to this, and now it's going to cause organ damage, cancer, fertility problems. Um, so what's, what you need to know is heed the warning signs. If there is something that has caught your eye about using a chemical and maybe having a reaction to say something because you don't need to be handling that because it could cause some very serious problems. In disposal tips, um, you want the spill kit for hazardous chemicals or biohazard spills. Uh, biohazard spills, of course, go into the red bag, but if you have a chemical, most of them are going to go into the regular trash. So you'll want an absorbent, like a kitty litter. You'll want gloves face shield, whatever you need to protect yourself. Then you'll need uh, a broom and dustpan or something to sweep it up with. You'll need a bag to put it in. So if it's a chemical, you'll need the regular trash bag. If it's a biohazard, you'll need a red bag. And then also, before you even start that, you need to go get the SDS sheet. Let me go back to that, because um, I want to touch on that just a little bit more. The um, when the the steps that you need to take is that what you would do is you would go and get the spill kit immediately. You would also get the SDS sheet being a chemical. You would get that, you would put the absorbent on, you would let it soak it up, then you would put your gloves, face shield, whatever you need, you would sweep that up, and then you would put it into the regular trash if that SDS said that. If it told you to put it in a particular bag or to dispose of it a particular way, that's how you're going to dispose of it. So if you were to get a chemical in your eyes, what you want to do is get to immediately get to the eye wash station. Um, you want to have one of those if there's any chemical that could be hazardous to your eyes. Uh, and then you want to get to the, a, the eye wash station immediately and activate it. Um, the one at the top, the green one, is very easy to activate. You just push the button, the things pop off, the water is running. On the bottom one, it's a little more complicated where you're going to turn on the faucet, you're going to pull that pin, and then the caps are going to pop off, and the water's going to be flowing. But you want to make sure that the caps pop off very easily. If they don't, then you want to make sure that that doesn't get jammed on there. So you'll activate the eye wash station, hold both eyes open, and flush for 15 minutes. Uh, OSHA doesn't enforce um, all the different things having to do with the eyewash station as far as, okay, what kind of eyewash station do you need, you know, how, where does it need to be or anything like that. Um, but they do recommend that you have an eyewash station if you've got chemicals that can be hazardous to your eyes. All right, so we are done. Um, I hope that some of you have some questions, and uh, I'll turn it back over to Jill for you. All right. Thank you, Kelly. I uh, do have a couple questions. Could you clarify what chemicals need to be on the chemical list in the office? Um, any, uh, OSHA doesn't clarify what is hazardous and what is not hazardous. Okay, so um, you're probably going to either have to read the label or, um, like I said, I am one to put everything on the chemical list and try to find the uh, SDS for. Uh, so it's most of the chemicals except for things like allergy serums. Um, you do have to have something like lidocaine, Botox. Um, let's see what else is a. If you had hydrogen peroxide. Now there's two different kinds of hydrogen peroxide, or actually more, but the stronger strength of hydrogen peroxide would need to be put on there. Alcohol would need to be put on there. Um, so any of those you'll want to put on there. 
Um, so they don't they don't really clarify. Now, if you wanted to go and try to find that information, I would go to OSHA.gov, and they might have more uh, breakdown of the chemicals because there's an awful lot of chemicals, and so maybe they can give you a little bit more direction. But those exemptions that I gave you um, were kind of what they follow. Okay. Okay. Um, our practice uses an outside after-hours cleaning service to clean our buildings. If the cleaning company transfers cleaning chemicals to a secondary bottle, is it the practice or the cleaning company's responsibility to provide the secondary label? The cleaning company stores the chemicals in our janitor closet. Okay, if, if, they, if your employees, if the employees have access to that janitor closet and use those chemicals also, it would, it would be the responsibility of the employer to make sure that those get labeled, whether they ask the cleaning company to do it or they do it themselves. Um, I have uh, somebody else that they have a maintenance crew that comes in and they'll do the same thing. They'll have their stuff and he has told her over and over and over again to label its bleach, its, um, I guess, diluted bleach that she uses and he knows what it is, he sprayed it out to find it, and he just keeps having to throw away the bottle because he wants her to label it. Um, so if it's not getting done and your employees are going to have access to it, then I would take care of it myself. Okay? Okay. Uh, personal items are exempt from the chemical list. Does that still hold true for those items that are shared amongst the employees? If, if it was brought in personally, if somebody personally brought it in and it wasn't bought by the employer, then no, you wouldn't have to put it on there. Okay, that, that could, I mean, like if, if I brought in um, some, you know, hand sanitizer or something for everybody to use, um, that's my personal hand sanitizer. If it was the employer buying something so that it gets shared, um, I would. Because for one thing, I just want to make sure that the employer is covered in all areas in whatever they do so that there's no question. And so that's why I say if there's something bought by the employer, then I would make sure that if, uh, uh, if you felt you needed a SDS on it, that you would get an SDS on it. Okay? okay. And, and put it on the chemical list. Uh, the next question, I have been having a hard time finding out the proper disposal for barium and lidocaine. Do you have any comments on that? Um, it, it would make a difference if they're, if they're disposing of just the liquid or if they're disposing of the container. Um, because sometimes with your, you're going to have to call your waste company. What's going to happen is there's probably a particular container that it needs to go into. Um, they may say that it can go into the red, in the red container or in the sharps container, or it may have to go into something else um, because other things are made for that. It looks just like the red container, except they're different colors is usually what it is. And then you put those things in there that may have a little bit of medication left in them, and you're not just putting a sharp or a glass bottle in something that's empty. I hope that makes sense. If not, I would just contact your waste hauler, um, and if they give you information about it, then contact another waste hauler so that you don't get conflicting information. I like to do a backup source, so ask somebody else too. Is there a specific kind of eye wash station that we need to have? Um, it, it needs to be something that will run on its own. I know that um, there's not a specific one that you need unless for some reason there's a state law out there that says, okay, you need to have this. Because as far as OSHA, they don't specify on what kind you have to have. Um, I do recommend that you don't have the squeeze bottles because they're not going to be sufficient enough because you're supposed to hold your eyes open when you use the, the eye wash station. And you can't do that if you're holding the two bottles to squirt the water in your eyes. And also, that water that are in those bottles is not going to last for 15 minutes. Um, so it, the best thing to do is to get an eye wash station. Whatever fits to your sink, 
uh, if you want to do that. And then I actually had somebody that couldn't find anything to fit to her faucet because she had a particular faucet in her office. And so she had to get the green one that was on the uh, screen a little while ago. And that one actually has its own water source and they put it on a wall so it's like its own sink. So she ended up having to do it that way. But there's not a particular one. You can find them at Lowe's and, and also through your distributor. They usually have them too. Okay. Uh, and last question, do we have to use the pictograms on our own labeling of containers in the office? No, not unless you want to. It, it's not a requirement by OSHA. They originally, when they first came out with this, they were recommending that you did. Um, but then they came back and said, you know, if you're using an old labeling system that works well for you, don't change it. Just use that. Uh, only if you want to change your labeling system, go with the new pictograms uh, and, and kind of the sample label that I showed you with the pictograms, the name of the chemical, and a hazard statement, if you want. So it's not a requirement of OSHA. Okay, and there's just a follow-up to the eyewash station question. Um, we have two buildings. Do we need an eyewash station in both buildings? If they're separated, because you need it close to where you might be using the chemicals. So you're not going to want to go through one building to the next building to try to get to an eyewash station, uh, especially if your eyes are burning. Uh, you want to be able to get to it as, you know, as quickly as possible. So I would recommend that you would have one in both buildings. Okay. And just one more, do all states have their own OSHA regulations? I live in Colorado and I have not heard of any. Um, no, Colorado does not uh, have their own state program. There are 28 states that do. Um, I can't name them all. I don't have the list, um, but it's, um, I know Tennessee does, Virginia does, uh, Maryland does, um, Ohio, Michigan, that's just a few of them. But no, Colorado does not have their own. And the way you can find that out is if you go to OSHA.gov, for any of you, if you go to OSHA.gov and you put in state programs, it will pop up and it will show your state and you can click on your state and it will say that it follows the federal OSHA program if you don't already have a state program. So it will fill you in and then you can go to your state website if you do have one and they'll fill you in with the information that's different than the federal. Great. Kelly, thank you so much. Uh, both presentations were so wonderful. Uh, please use her contact information on the screen for any further questions, or if you send us questions, I will forward them on to her. Your Paycom CU certificate will be emailed to you automatically. Please join us next week for Recognizing and Diffusing Aggressive Behavior uh, with Steve Wilder of Sorensen Wilder and Associates. You can register for this webinar or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at 1sthcc.com, or you can always call us at 888-543-4778. Thank you again, Kelly, and thank you again for joining us. Have a great day.